When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we look ahead to what will be making news and moving markets over the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. That means we'll be taking an in-depth look at the fallout from the autumn statement and the spending review. We'll rumble on likely for some time to come. What sort of message did George Osborne send to business and markets and indeed investors? I'm joined by Callum Jones, the Times political correspondent, Patrick Hosking, our financial editor and columnist, and Catherine Hopkins, property correspondent of the Times. Welcome to you all. Thanks for being here. Callum, perhaps I can start with you. You were one of the Times team actually on the scene in Westminster. What was the reaction and was there a sense, did you feel anyway, that the business had been unfairly singled out uh, by the Chancellor to bear the brunt of the U-turn on tax credits? So for George Osborne, this was much more about avoiding disaster than crafting some historic moment in his chancellorship. I mean, his aims yesterday were to satisfy his backbenchers, to neutralise the fallout over tax credit cuts and indeed push ahead with planned cuts to uh, welfare and government departments. Now, without jumping the gun, things broadly feel so far so good on those fronts. Tory MPs not cheering him to the rafters in the same way they were in the, after the summer budget in July, but broadly happy with how he handled things. It tends to be days and weeks rather than minutes and hours after these sort of statements that they tend to cause headaches for the Treasury. Don't forget, of course, that it took months for the tax credit issue to come to a head for George Osborne. But so far, let's see how it goes. The reaction f- from the opposition, from the Labour, I mean, that was that was quite something. I mean, there was a lot made of, of, of the use of Chairman Mao's books. I mean, that takes me back to the 60s and I was around then. I mean, was there a surprise or is it just a good photo opportunity and a chance to... Look, I think even Osborne would accept he was lucky with regards to Labour yesterday. There was quite a lot of frustration on the opposition benches at a time when they could have drawn attention to quite a few points of contention, shall we say, in the spending review. For example, the fact that universal credit changes will cause considerable pain to working people uh, towards the end of the Parliament. And another thing that was raised by a few MPs to me was the fact that uh, grants for nurse for trainee nurses are now being turned into loans but instead the shadow chancellor brandished a little red book and i mean i don't know about anyone else but for everyone that i've spoken to so far in terms of the labor response that's the only thing that stood out in their mind yesterday patrick you've you've written in the times a list of five things that the chancellor should do did he pass the test first of all and 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 picking up really on, on what callum just said I think he he passed the test in one sense. If you believe if you believe the numbers, I mean, he sees the uh, the British economy over the next five years cantering along very nicely, thank you, uh, uninterruptedly. And if that happens, that's the most important thing for 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 British business. That's like what they, that's what they want to see and a nicely growing economy and and as much as possible for the government to step back. In terms of measures, I don't think they were particularly thrilled. There was the apprenticeship levy which is A, a big tax, and B, it hasn't been explained um, how it's actually going to be spent and, and how businesses will be able to claim some of it back if they in, do indeed offer apprenticeships. And then there was the delay on the reform of business rates, which has got some people upset as well. 
Do you think business then was underrepresented clearly from, from the Labour response? I mean, there were issues that, that Callum just alluded to that no one actually attacked them on, did they? Or who's going to pick up the cudgel for business in this case then? Well, it's the same old suspects. You get the, the, the CBI and the Institute of Directors had their say. I don't think there's any great shortage of business people who can speak out if they want to and will be listened to. Yeah, Callum. I mean, yeah, this was an unashamed raid on big business in a bid to boost the Treasury coffers at the end of the day. I mean, raising it should be pointed out about £12 billion, apparently that's the big number, which is about the same amount they're seeking to slash from the welfare bill as well. But politically, this new apprenticeships levy will probably broadly go quite unchallenged. I mean, you can't see Labour, as you just said, accusing George Osborne of being anti-big business, nor the SNP or any other major players in Westminster. The key thing here is that in the business world, George Osborne needs people on side. Downing Street, frankly, has a bit of a mountain to climb in terms of the European renegotiation and then the referendum. If they don't have the backing of British business, this mountain gets a bit steeper. Do you think, Patrick, that they may withhold some cooperation in what is going to be, as Callum just said, a hugely important mountain to climb for all of us, for currency markets, for shares and for the economy? I think there may be a bit of uh, digging in heels. I think uh, to talk of business as a single amorphous mass is massively oversimplifies it, of course. But, mm. uh, yes, I, mean, I think they, there isn't any great love for the government just at the moment from... Uh, from from business so that's what i detect and i think as i say it, it so much depends on the economy and the economy does seem to be wobbling very slightly not not just uh, not so much in the uk at the moment but in the, the world economy you've got emerging markets you've got china slowing down you've got uh, russia brazil you name all these brick economies also struggling it one does have to wonder whether we can st- continue to sail on serenely when uh, so many countries are struggling a bit Catherine, let me bring you in here. Of course, property again coming to the fore here and particularly the buy-to-let market. Just bring us up to date on and what it might mean for a lot of people actually who have gone into that market. So the main message I got yesterday is that the Chancellor will not be very popular with buy-to-let landlords and probably buy-to-let landlords aren't very popular with the Chancellor. So the, he, he put the third nail in the coffin yesterday when he said he would introduce a 3% surcharge on stamp duty rates for um buyers of second homes and buy-to-let landlords. He also announced uh, changes to capital gains tax from 2019, which will mean that um, buy-to-let landlords will have 30 days to pay the tax rather than um, wait till the end of the year. Now, this comes on top of an announcement um, during the summer which restricted the amount of tax relief that they can claim. So lots of people are now trying to see if this is the the death knell for the buy-to-let sector. And I personally think we'll actually see quite a few people rushing in to do it now before the new surge charge comes in in April. But after that, I think we're going to see a big slump in the number of people who want to be buy-to-let landlords. And Patrick, bringing you here from an investment angle, this is hugely important to a lot of people, isn't it? Either through their pension pots or through their ISAs. They've got the real estate investment trusts, property investment, it seemed a, a nice safe way of spreading the load. Is this going to affect people's, or should it affect people's investment decisions in the future? I think at the margin, yes. Yeah. So it does It does make a difference. As, as Catherine says, there's, the, 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 uh, the chance has been bashing landlords again and again and again, and there may be more bad news next week when um, the Financial Policy Committee meets. So it's already been making, uh, making warning noises about buy-to-let. So certainly the political, there are political headwinds there, and that affects return on, on investment. 
Callum, bringing you back in here, Patrick just said about the, the political aspect of it. Is there an assumption in Westminster that there's still quite a bit more from this particular stone that they can actually squeeze something from or could he be running into voter resistance? There were quite a few headlines in this morning's papers about the death knell of buy-to-let landlords and that, that side of things. And a couple of people put to me this morning that maybe that's what the Tories wanted to see this morning. That's what they that's what that's exactly the sort of headlines they want, because they want to be seen as the party of buying. That's definitely what they want to be seen as. We've seen moves from George Osborne very much on in, in that area of things over the past five years and not so much on letting. There is one problem that he could face is that all these changes could be very counterproductive because it could just mean in the end that we'll have less stock, which means that those landlords that are still around can just push rents up even higher and that will prevent um, would-be buyers from saving up the hefty deposits they need to get on the ladder. I think Catherine's absolutely right there. This doesn't actually get a single extra house built, and that's what's what's going to resolve the housing housing crisis. So I was much more interested in in what he had to say about uh, getting more houses built by uh, by giving money to uh, to property to uh, house builders, and also again coming back to this this apprenticeships point. I mean, it's absolutely staggering the amount of extra. Plumbers, carpenters, roofers, you name it, we're going to need if we're going to have a hope of building 300,000 homes a year. And if that hel- if it helps there on the supply side, I think that's much more interesting. I think, though, in terms of apprenticeships, that that's all, all well and good. But I think part of the problem with that is that they have to go into schools because th- these jobs, which are paid very well and... and s- bricklayers I think are paid quite a lot more than me so I've gone into the wrong career um, but, but the reputation of these jobs in school that sort of teachers and parents look down at these jobs like they aren't good professions and they are very good professions and that's what we need to change the thinking of in school so then people want to do these apprentices rather than everyone go to university. Certainly there has been an effort by the government, uh, but probably they, they, even they would accept they need to do more in terms of shifting the balance between uh, vocational and academic, not careers, but education in, 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 in the latter years of further education, higher education, and um, they, they claim to be on the case there. Let's see. Time will tell. What about looking at the, the further, the, the more sort of uh, long-term spending review, and particularly infrastructure, again, something that affects the stock market? I mean, Callum... First of all, were there any surprises to you about infrastructure spending or were you disappointed that there wasn't more? I don't think there were many, many surprises in terms of the main surprises. I mean, the, the fact that tax credits were completely were completely cut was a bit of a surprise and the fact that uh, the police budget was entirely frozen was a big surprise. But in terms of surprises in infrastructure, there, there, there wasn't much there which, uh, which really took the breath away yesterday. But Patrick, we still have so many of the big projects, some of which you're writing about, you know, do we have a third runway at at, at Heathrow or does it go to Gatwick or another hub airport, Uh, the roads, the railways? These are all supposed to be part of this booming economy spending package, aren't they? Is there any sign that we're nearer to fruition on many of these that seem to be essential? Well, certainly they're talking the talk from uh, everything from uh, Crossrail to to, uh, this new potholes fund that we were were told about yesterday. But it's very difficult to get these things uh, from the sort of drawing board through to the beyond planning and the rest of it. So it's going to be a a very long haul. But I, I do detect... Um, more well, you you heard it in much of what the Chancellor said yesterday. There's a, a moving of the dial away from from current spending and towards infrastructure and investment type spending. And will this 
if you like, deliver at the end of the day further growth in the economy or is this just a way of redistributing funding, if you like, in a clever way or political? You're trying to win political points with these projects rather than actually improving roads and rail and services generally to make this an attractive destination for incoming money. I think it should, you know, better, better broadband, better rail and railways and roads. I mean, it's it's hugely beneficial to the economy if you get it right. But we're talking, we need to have a sort of decades-long time horizon, which, of course, uh, when you're they sat, sat in front of the dispatch box, it's very difficult to have that. In terms of looking, uh, this is slightly a cheeky look, but uh, George Osborne often trailed as a, as a future leader of the Conservative Party. Callum, did he do enough yesterday to cement that base? Tax credits was causing him a problem at the end of the day. He was, he, he's, he's really trying to get this message across since since we saw in the summer budget but also he wanted to develop this reputation over the coming years as a, as a Chancellor for the work, as a Chancellor for the working people and tax credit and the, the proposed cuts were really damaging that reputation and it, it barely set it out and it was already digging at it a little bit so it, it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out in the weeks and months. In terms of yesterday's uh, spending review it, it was a, a good a good example of damage control I suppose Patrick, he may have alienated business to some extent but do they see him as a good chancellor and therefore possibly a, a contender for number 10? Yes, I think they do. I mean, when you consider... You sound a bit depressed there. (laughs) When you consider where we are in 2009, 2010, you know, the the economy has come out of... uh, uh, of a deep recession uh, with the fastest, as he, as he was saying repeatedly yesterday, with the fastest growing economy in the G7. But I suspect this may be, uh, this may be his peak moment. Can it get much better for him in those terms? I'm not sure it can. I, th- I think for leadership, though, we need to see a bit more of his personality. I, I feel we don't really see enough of that, and I think that will that will really help him. Well, it depends what his personality is like. <laughs> I mean, he's still very much the choice of Tory MPs at the moment. Obviously, uh, you've got Boris Boris Johnson, Theresa May also on manoeuvres as well. But in terms of the broader Tory membership, last time there was a significant poll, he was still ahead. Let's, let's see how things play out over the next weeks and months. Who knows, tax credits might still be a problem for him, even though he's now resolved that issue in practical terms. Maybe it might have damaged his reputation a little bit more than one might suspect in the long term. So looking at the market reaction then, Patrick, just, just more broadly, there's nothing there to unsettle them, you don't think? No, I mean, one thing that came across yesterday was this extraordinary windfall he he got from the way that uh, guilt yields have collapsed in the last three months. It's all very technical. Basically, the bottom line is that uh, his sums look £23 billion better than anyone expected them to. And it was because of of interest rate expectations in the market and comments by Mark, Mark Carney, the governor of the Bank of England, that, 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 that have given them this boost. And whether it will actually be sustained is there's a lot of doubt uh, in financial markets. It's, it, it, it was a great gift to him. I wish I had such a great gift when I totted up my personal finances. They've never come out <laughs> that way. Anyway, thanks for that, Patrick, and indeed to you all. And that's just about it for now. But remember, you can keep up to date with all the financial news on our website. And if you have a time subscription, you can sign up to our daily morning and lunchtime emails that's going to give you everything you need to know wherever you are and if you don't have a subscription there's a special one pound offer you'll find that at thetimes.co.uk and if you want to hear us weekly you can subscribe through itunes my thanks there to callum jones from our westminster team patrick hosking and Catherine hopkins they're all on twitter as i am so do follow us all we'll be back next week thanks for listening 
Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.